I used to call it rehab. Like rehab, that's an interesting name. Oh, there's an A. Rehab, got it. Well, welcome, uh, Judy and Jen, back to the table. Uh, Michelle G is actually out sick today. Aaron is on vacation still, so Kev, I pulled Kevin in. Uh, Hello. It does take two of us to replace Michelle G. Yeah, so we are talking about Rahab, which is week five of the Not So Little Women series. And Steve Pruitt is giving the message this week. However, we don't have Steve Pruitt either. So, uh, yeah, I thought we could just read through this real quick as sort of the recap and go from there. Today we look at Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute living in the city of Jericho when the Israelites were about to invade and conquer the land. When Joshua sent two spies to scout out Jericho before attacking, Rahab hid the spies and helped them escape, lying to the authorities about their whereabouts. She made the spies promise to spare her and her family when the Israelites attacked. When Jericho was conquered, Rahab and her family were spared, as promised, and she was allowed to live among the Israelites from then on. What do we learn from Rahab? 1. God extends grace and mercy even to great sinners. Though Rahab was a prostitute, God still had mercy on her because of her faith. This shows us that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. 2. Salvation is only by God's grace, not by our own works. Rahab was saved because of God's mercy despite her sinfulness. Like Rahab, we are all saved by God's grace alone through faith, not by our own righteousness. 3. God's grace is abundant. Not only did God spare Rahab's life, but he brought her into a covenant people of Israel, made her an ancestor of Christ, and commended her as an example of faith. The grace God shows his people far exceeds what we could ever deserve. Sometimes when we see God extend his grace to wicked people, we can be a bit conflicted. We can doubt the genuineness of their faith and even doubt that God would really save a person so wicked. But maybe we should not be focusing on the depths of their sin or the heights of their unworthiness. Maybe God would have us focus on the wonders and beauties of his grace and mercy shown to sinners. Maybe we should take a quick look in the mirror to see if we are thinking that we are more deserving of salvation than they. The story of Rahab gives us a story of God's grace and mercy to a prostitute, a woman who regularly violates the sacredness of marriage for a living but behind her story, we see that our God is so amazing and merciful that he can turn a prostitute into a poster girl for grace. Da, 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 da. Any initial thoughts? Well, one thing that I thought, you know, I think we were kind of comparing a prostitute to, uh, who was that? Ted Bundy and Jeff Dahmer. And I don't see it like that. I guess because I feel like we don't know Rahab's story or where that all came from, where, how, how she even came to be a prostitute. What, what was her upbringing, her family life? What brought her into that prostitution? You don't think when she was a little girl, she was hoping to grow up to be a prostitute. No. I agree. Something in her life happened in her circumstances forced her to do that. I think it's too bad that her pretty much even most Bible commentaries look at her as a whore and a liar. But when we see her in the faith account in Hebrew and James, that's not mentioned at all because God changed her story. God redeemed her. Mm. God delivered her and and changed, changed her life. I think you hit on something there that like Rahab, we all have backstories right. and we all have sin. 
I mean, yes, it is my choice. My sin is mine, but it also comes from um, my life experiences all the way from a little child. Um, tendencies, um, the way that I was raised or the way that I wasn't raised or just what happened to me and some of the things that I chose to do and the consequences of all those things. So how does that give you a more positive outlook on life and on the gospel? The gospel covers our past, present, and future. To be willing to let God work in all those areas of our life and and rewrite our story is is the work that he's willing to do for Mm. us because he loves us. That's one thing that comes to mind, that humility, awareness of let me not look down on someone else because of their sin, but let me relate with them because I too am a sinner. Yes. Okay, so we know Rahab's sin label and maybe our sin label is not as public as hers, but we all have one, at least one. (laughs) (laughs) You only have one? (laughs) Doing pretty good over there, two ladies. (laughs) She was um, the lowest of the low in society. She was a woman. She was a prostitute. She was a Canaanite. And as you know, so she had really nobody. She heard about God, this amazing story. And she said, I need that. Hmm. You know, I need that redeemer. I need this deliverance. And she waited 40 years. She knew she'd heard about the crossing of the Red Sea. She knew that they'd wandered in the wilderness. She waited and waited. And when she declares this truth of God, she said, finally, in a way, it's it's not implicitly there, but where have you been? You know, I've been waiting 40 years for this. And we're seeing it all throughout with the many of these women, you know, wait, 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 in God's timing, wait. And she, I just think it's so beautiful how patient she was. I see the importance of our stories in that and us being willing to tell our stories so then people can, the people who do not know God or or maybe they do know God, but it makes their faith even stronger because of the work that he has done in our lives. And also I saw the importance of really learning scripture because when we know scripture, we can share with other people where God has um, worked in the past and also that we can learn it to share with others and also that it would build in us the trust of who God is and what he's done and what he continues to do. And when that becomes part of our blood, part of our, our makeup, that that is what then would flow from our mouths. So what part of your story do you share to help bring others to a, a better understanding of the beauty of the gospel? For a long time, I was very angry and holding on to anger um, against my dad. And when I'm working with teenagers, especially as a story that I use, it said mm-hmm. it was not right that I held on to that anger and did not forgive him for multiple years a few years ago, I realized that I was really realist. Um, I was really um, legalistic in my walk with God, and it came down to a really bad year, where it was wave after wave of bad thing happening. And I remember being really mad at God, saying, "How could you do this to me? Look at all these things I did for you." Mm-hmm. I did the missions trips. I did the Bible studies. I I go to church every week, and I. 
I, I, I stayed home with my kids and I homeschooled and I, I did all these things. And I remember God saying back to me, I never asked you to do those things. And I had made up my own gospel mm. made out of works. And all along I thought that God needed me, but in reality I needed him. And when he saved me from my sin, he also saved me from my good works. I just didn't have to do it. So my gospel need is grace and learning to rest in Jesus, his complete work on the cross, that it's done and I don't have to exhaust myself in doing to earn his love. Thanks for sharing. That's self-righteousness. We, <laughs> I'm not saying you're a prostitute, but it's just as bad in the eyes of God as any other sin, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we overlook that unless God does something like that, where it's like, yeah. no, we're, we're done with that. And here's a new path for you. And it's walking in his righteousness yeah. and not the own right self-carved righteousness we think we've done for ourselves. Jen, for you, what did that transition look like of, I'm sure it's a process of coming out of those shackles of self-good works. It wasn't immediate. It was slow. My heart, my heart was really hard for a long time. Still mad at God. Mm-hmm. It was slowly him drawing me back to himself in a really loving way and and just reframing my relationship with him. It is just a slow process. And I'll say it, coming to this church has really helped a lot. You know, reframing it, just becoming, you know, I knew what the gospel was, but I don't, I don't think I was living it in the way that God meant me to live, live it. How do you walk alongside others where you maybe see similar tendencies or, or actions that you've, you've faced in the past? I just really keep sharing what God is doing in my life. I just mm-hmm. keep pointing it back to him mm-hmm. and hoping that we'll hear a word from the Lord too, or have a realization, you know, in that way. I think it's one way people can really receive is by hearing what us point to him and us point to what's going on. We, uh, August, our youngest is now, uh, 17 months or something like that. And it was a pretty traumatic birth. And, and I've shared some of this before. And, and, uh, so in the past year we've see out, sought out some counseling and now I feel like she should give me a rewards, right? Rewards program. Cause I'm like, everyone I talk to now, I'm like, you need counseling. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's not, it's not so much that it's, it's, I think God has now put me in these conversations and I've had two this week in past week ish, just talking to friends of mine people I love and the conversations. And I just see things clearer. Like I see, you know, trauma in people's life and, and I can equate mm. even, even physical reactions that people don't even realize their body's doing. I, I can see it now because I have a little bit of an understanding, a little bit, tiny bit and, and, and tools that I can't do. Um, and so I've been able to like, Hey, you know, but I, I don't just come out and say it. Right. I say, I, I talk about, you know, it's helped, it's helped me, it's helped my family. Mm-hmm. It's helped. And, and maybe, maybe it could help you too in this. And, and it's genuinely like, I want the best for them. Not that I think counseling is the gospel, but, hopefully we can get the gospel to be understood better if we're not fighting our flesh and responses to trauma. And so I think, I think sharing just, and, and I don't know, I don't know if these people 
take their own steps forward. But I, I think me sharing, and this has been really hard in my life lately. And this is what God's done. And it was this tool and maybe this tool will work for you, but ultimately this, this thing you're talking about doesn't define you and shouldn't define you. And I want to help, I want to help you grow in that. So yeah, I think sharing those stories that what God has done. And I agree, Mike, because I think people didn't used to want to, maybe it was pride. People didn't want to seek help for trauma. My husband and I, we struggled in our marriage for years and years and had seek counseling, but none, I don't think any of that counseling was gospel centered. And it's such a difference when the gospel is included in that because it's the gospel that only makes change. Reading the scriptures for me every morning is exciting now. Whereas I didn't get it before. It amazes me, like you're saying, Judy, that as we hear God's work in history through scripture, but also in our own stories or the stories of people around us, that's where that perspective begins to build in ourselves. And we, we do have more Ebenezer stones as an Old Testament reference, right? They piled all these stones high in the middle of the desert or next to the river to remind them of what God did there. Rahab had that story like you keep referring to. She knew that God had done this work. She was just waiting for it to come and happen in her life. Um, I had a couple just questions for people to think about that I was thinking about as I was doing this. So what is in your past life that you did or was done to you that you think disqualifies you from the loving kindness of the Lord? I'm hoping we can ask each other that in our GC this week. I think we have secret things that we hold on to that we think God could never forgive me of this or I'm so ashamed by this that... I got to hold this back from God, but we can give it to him. He can handle it. And he's the gospel covers our past. Mm. Also, who do you know that you think is beyond the reach of redemption? Who's buried so far away in Canaan that they can't see the goodness of God. I think we all have people like that in our lives Mm. and then ask ourselves, have we grown weary of praying for them Mm. that God can get to Canaan? (laughs) And that first question you asked Jen, you know, maybe, Maybe people will not be able to bring their burden to the whole group, but I pray that they would seek somebody out to maybe meet during the week or so one-on-one and talk about that. Yeah, maybe, I mean, if you try as a whole group, maybe worth splitting up into smaller groups or gender-specific group to allow more of a space that someone could share if, if you want to try to do it in a group setting. But I agree, putting it out there and then following up. I think those are great questions, Jen. I think mm-hmm. I think focusing on those this week would be really powerful because it, it helps us see our need, but also probably come up with ways to pray for others and um, pray for those that we, we've given up. You know, or maybe we even never even started to pray for salvation because mm-hmm. we think it's just not... Too far. Yeah, it's too far. And, and But wanting it for them and desiring it and growing and wanting for it because maybe they're not a family member that we love. Maybe they're somebody we don't, maybe we, maybe we have disdain for and, but wanting it for them for their good 
um, would be huge growth for us. And yeah, I don't know, maybe God will use us to be a part of something, something radical. That's good. I, I do want to say, because if, if this stuff makes it about trauma, trauma can also be a, a buzzword. Right. And trauma, right. trauma of itself could be an idol where I've seen people go off the rails because right. that's then the excuse. Um, and you could seek out a trauma-informed professional and not ever get the gospel. So there's a balance of finding somebody who, if you're going to seek counseling out, find somebody who is trauma-informed but biblically minded right. and and they're hard to find. They're hard to find. Hey guys, it's Michelle. Missed being with you this week, but loved hearing your thoughts on Steve's message on Rahab and just this topic as a whole uh, and appreciated too, just the vulnerability and in sharing how it intersects with your own story too. You know, on Michael's final notes about seeking help uh, in the wake of trauma, we all have needs, obviously. I think Jesus makes that abundantly clear. And sometimes those needs take different shape in certain seasons. And I think it's, it's always simultaneously a beautiful yet heavy thing when we're made of aware maybe of the times we need more intensive support um, relationally or therapeutically, especially in dealing with trauma, which we know so much more about scientifically than we have, um, you know, decades ago, let alone, you know, hundreds of years ago. Um, and so if you feel overwhelmed or don't know where to go, I know Michael was speaking of the difficulty of sometimes of finding therapists that can integrate the gospel, um, reach out, you know, as a therapist myself, I have, um, connections or people that I can refer you to, or even if you just have questions about therapy as a process in itself, um, I always love demystifying that for people that are interested or have a sense there's a, need, a personal need there, but are intimidated uh, for any reason. I wanted to share this one quote I saw recently from an organization I follow that's actually um, offering a conference on trauma and biblical counseling by Esther Liu. And it says, the impacts of trauma can make us feel like damaged goods. We are impatient with ourselves, but Jesus knows and he says, come to me. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. And that last line just struck me so much. We think of our burdens as an obstacle to receiving what Jesus has for us. And yet, actually, that very thing is what qualifies us to come to him and receive freely. So I hope you'll all be encouraged by that today.